uh, welcome Gateway. I prayed for you this morning and for myself and welcome Anthony. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks. Last week we did a survey here at Gateway. Thank you for those of you who participated and a couple of you participated online. Thank you for that as well. And I also had Anthony's church in Arkansas fill out the same survey. So we get to compare results this morning. So, uh, Dean, can you pull that up for us? So, Cultural Awareness Sunday, welcome, Gateway. Peace of the Lord be with you. That's very good. <laughs> so we asked, uh, do you have friends of different nationalities and races? And hold on, I haven't put the whole question up here each time. So, Gateway says 52% a few, very many. 47%. Are stereotypes true? Gateway says, yes, you know, stereotypes, Anthony, like all pastors are good looking and smart. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's, absolutely. It's an obvious Amen, stereotype. amen, brother. Yes, it's an obvious stereotype. <laughs> so there is some truth to some stereotypes, yes. So, yes. <laughs> There's truth to all stereotypes. Gateway says 30%. A little truth to stereotypes. 43% of you said a little. Raise your hands. No, I'm kidding. 15% mosaic. There's truth. 23% mosaic. A little. 58% of mosaic says not really. See, that surprises me. That we did that fifty eight percent. That's that's a that's a high yeah. number for our yeah. congregation because I think with the interaction that we have with each other, the intentional interaction that we have with each other, I would think that we would probably answer more a little than not really. Huh. I think as we have built relationships and community with one another, we've recognized that although most stereotypes are not true, there are a few that are, and we joke about them all the time. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of interesting. It seems to me like that's healthier. I mean, there are some truth to some mm-hmm. of these stereotypes, and we might as well laugh at ourselves. Absolutely. Like white folks can't dance, right? Huh. <laughs> well, hey. I'm joking. Hey, hey. Hey. I'm joking. You, you, you cannot <laughs> clap when he says that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, you, you've obviously not seen me on the dance floor. Uh, that's right, man. I'm sorry. Okay, third question. How would you rate race relations in the U.S. today? Holy smokes. 63% of us here at Gateway think they're fair. 1% of us think they're excellent. Could that person stand? <laughs> Okay, and 75% of Mosaic says poor. Yeah. Again, I think that's the result of community being built with other ethnic groups where they see their brothers and their sisters affected by the poor race relations in this country. I mean, if you're not engaged, you don't necessarily see it. And so if you don't see it, then it's kind of fair, other than the four or five instances that come up the Trayvon Martins and the, you know, those kinds of issues. So, Anthony, help us out. It seems like all of us who are well-intentioned are going to say there are some issues. But from the speaking from the standpoint of the majority voice, it seems like without question, zero to ten scale, we have, a level three problem. <laughs> and so we hear minority voices, mm-hmm. especially black voices, saying, oh, this is a level seven problem. Really? Really. I would say eight to eight and a half, probably nine. That is a, a huge issue in this country. And, I mean, it's, it's very obvious. Whenever one s- small issue is, is addressed, it just explodes because that's the nature of race relations in our country. But again, you said speaking from the majority culture, most people in the majority culture, you, you never have to encounter this other than what, what you, you see mean? on the news. 
Okay, there's a word that we use in multi-ethnic ministry. It's called displacement. And it's basically when a person allows themselves to be engrossed or planted into another culture so that you're just kind of the minority. Well, you guys never, for the most part, have to do that. There is nothing about any other minority culture that you have to be a part of in order for you to be successful. You flip that, and we have to. Like, in order for us to be successful, we have to be bilingual. What I mean by that is we speak our own language at home, but when I'm in corporate America, then I am articulating every speech. I am speaking very clearly. I am using all of the right language. I am using the right diction. But when I'm home, then I can kind of relax because that's called displacement. And I would say for the most part, none of you have ever had to be displaced into another culture, especially the African-American culture. And so all you know is what you see on television, and you see probably a small percentage of folks who, for whatever reason, have had questionable run-ins with the law, and you immediately draw conclusions as to who was right, who was wrong. And we both do it on both sides because of this race relations issue. So I'm going to leave it there because I'm going to talk a lot about that. starting to meddle a little bit. Yeah. Okay, next question. How do race relations today compare to race relations 20 years ago? I'm not going to make much comment here. Just look at our results. Pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, they are better than 20 years ago. I would agree with that. They're better. But I believe the issue of race and racism has gone from a very overt thing to a very covert thing. And so now it's, you know, 20 years ago, I kind of knew where you stood. Nowadays, I'm just kind of like, hmm, and which is the reason why when things happen, from our perspective, you guys never have to do this. From our perspective, whenever things happen to us, we always in the back of our mind saying, is that because I'm black? We always have to ask that question. And I'm not trying to play the race card, but it's always an issue where I'm consistently faced with, that brother's a great brother, but I just, I'm, internally I'm asking now, was that because of the color of my skin? And do you understand that those of us in the majority culture, I know you understand, but mm-hmm. we don't want you to have to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there are a lot of times when it's not about race and that question is still introduced in the conversation and we feel like we didn't introduce it. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't. The culture introduces it. You just are you oblivious to it because you don't have to. You don't have to be aware of it. But the culture, it exists in our culture. And there's a term I'll speak about later. Actually, I'll I'll read it now. It's a term that uh, Michael Emerson, who wrote this book, Divided by Faith, if you're at all interested in a discussion, in which every member of the body of Christ should be interested in this, let me just say that, black, white, purple, or brown. This sociologist from Rice University wrote this book. We don't have any purple people here today. (laughs) It's called Divided by Faith. Subtitle is Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. Groundbreaking book written and uh, released in 2000. And it kind of launched this whole movement of multi-ethnic ministry in our country. It is a very difficult book to read, but it is based on over 2,000 people that were interviewed, 200 of those face-to-face, and they were all evangelical Christians. It is a glaring look into the truth. But what he says in here is that this term racism kind of, it evokes some different emotions in people that kind of, it, it kind of shuts down conversation and dialogue. We don't necessarily use the term racism, although there are still people who are racist in this country, black and white, purple and brown, but you guys don't have a purple, that's right. <laughs> so he says this, a racialized society, which is the term that we use now, which is where we are, A racialized society is a society wherein race matters profoundly for differences in life experiences, life opportunities, and social relationships. A racialized society can also be said to be a society that allocates differential economic, political, social, and even psychological rewards to groups along racial lines that are socially constructed. All right, and so when you listen to that definition, that's where we are. We exist in a racialized society. Whether you want to agree with that or not, it is true. And so what you were saying is 
we just, I just don't get it. And I get that because for the most part, the majority culture never has to enter into the issues involved with a racialized society until we get like this, which is one of the things I'm going to talk about later is if you really want to understand a different ethnic group, then you've got to sit down with those folks and at the dinner table and just ask some of the difficult questions. Ask the hard questions. Those questions that you're afraid to ask somebody or those feelings that you get when you're watching television and you see a bunch of people rioting and stuff and you're like, why in the world is blah, 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 blah. You need to get a friend who you can sit down and say, why? What? explain to me why that happens. And until you do that, it's just, you just kind of left the, yeah, well, you know, that's what Fox News says, so it must be right. I'm sorry, Fox News listeners. I don't like CNN or MSNBC either, so it's not just Fox. <laughs> so Moving right along. You're, you're an equal opportunity offender. Okay, let's scoot through these, Dean. So next, how does the U.S. criminal justice system treat various races? Speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, again, that's indicative of a misunderstanding. It's, it's indicative of, yeah, it depends on the individual. And I'll mention something about individualism and it's how it's permeated our thought as evangelical Christians in a, in a, little, a little bit. In general... Do you think blacks have as good a chance as white people in your community to get any kind of job for which they are qualified? Man alive, I'd like to think we were beyond this one. Now, and let me say this. I think, you know, some of that is education, and I get that. But a lot of it is relationship. Like, I don't necessarily believe that white people are just sitting around in their business offices saying, okay, uh, this guy is African-American, just move on by him. Now, some of them may, but I think for the most part, it's just who you know. I mean, most of us know you get jobs based on who you know. And if you only know people of your... That's your, a good point. Then good that's point. who you're going to call. Hispanics. I find this fascinating. Same. Both of us, Mosaic and Gateway, thought that it was worse for Hispanics. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. How about the Asians <laughs> in our community? 10% of you thought they had a better chance. <laughs> <laughs> we need to spend an hour on this, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, keep going. I'm tired of hearing, reading, and or learning about diversity. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'll guarantee you some of you are like me, and you feel this. Okay, can I say something about this? Yes, sir. Now, this is the, the slide that kind of, it gets, kind of gets under my, especially as believers, right? Because, you know, one of the things that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, he said in his high priestly prayer, like, so along with all of the prayers that he sent up for his disciples, God, take care of them, make sure they do this, that, and the other. Then he goes into us, and he says, and for those who will believe, and he goes on to say, you know the way, God, that you and I and the Spirit of God are so unified? He's like, that's what I want for the body of Christ. And then he throws this Greek henna clause in, which is, if so, then this. That's called a henna clause. So he then says, because if that happens, if they are unified, the body of Christ, the way we are, then the world might know that I love them and that I've come for them. So he is specifically tied the world knowing that Christ loves them to the unity that we possess as a body. We're going to let you preach in just a second. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really good stuff. And then we strongly disagree. That, I mean, we strongly or somewhat agree that we talk too much about it. We're tired of hearing about it. But that's who we are. We should be. Okay, I believe that we should learn to emphasize our similarities, not our differences. I took these questions from somewhere else. I don't really know what this question tells us, but interesting. Last This is embarrassing. I believe the principal reason for persistent race problems in America is 21% of us, you don't need to make any comment, Anthony, we get it. 21% of us think, and it's probably mostly the African-American community we're talking about. Mm -hmm. 21% of us thought some groups need to take responsibility and quit believing their victims. 
and I, I called Ed after we did this, and I said, Ed, I want to. It was was it? I think it was Sunday morning. Yeah. I said, can we add one more to this? And I wanted to say, some need to quit acting like there is no problem. I wanted to put that up there because that is also a, a huge issue for the persistent problems. Let's pray for Anthony. He's going to bring the word to us. We may go a few minutes long, not too long. <laughs> yes, sir. But hang with us if you would. And some spiritual aerobics out of reverence for God's presence. Let's stand this morning. And so I'm going to ask, we need to hear this, Gateway. We've got some folks here who are not the majority culture. Thank you for hanging out with us, seriously. And can you help us get beyond us a little bit? So let's have Anthony bring some truth to us this morning. The Bible talks about laying hands on one another. And I think that's just because we're connected to one another. It's a sign of community. So at Gateway, sometimes in a large setting like this, we do that by just you extend your hand out. So as I pray for Anthony... Would you just extend your hand out this morning? Let's pray. Uh, Loving Lord, we thank you so much that we're one. We are the body of Christ. Whether or not we feel like it, we are. There are some this morning, Lord, who feel just emotionally disconnected because of what's going on in their lives, and I pray that today you would minister to them. Mm -hmm. Lord, we've got a a big topic for us that we need to talk about this morning, and I pray that you bring truth, the right measure of balance and the right measure of grace and the right measure of patience and bearing with one another and loving one another. I pray that you would do that here. And uh, speak through our brother Anthony and speak to our hearts, I pray. We give you permission this morning to break open our chests and massage your truth in. We don't believe any of us are here by accident, so we stand ready to receive what you have for us. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. Anthony? All right. So let me finish the the point that I was making, because I don't believe God is a God of coincidence. I believe he's a God of providence. And so on our way up here yesterday with our family, we stopped at a hotel in Knoxville to stay overnight. And um, I went over to the counter, and there was a USA Today paper on, the, on the, the counter. And I just happened to look at the side comments of what was inside, and it said something about a race discussion that's beginning. And so I f- flipped through the paper, and this is what I found. Race together. And my immediate thought was, see, there we go again. There the culture is setting the tone rather than the church. And see, when I see stuff like this is being done by Starbucks and USA Today. So next time you go to Starbucks, you'll see a bunch of these just sitting on the counter. Because the culture gets it. The unbelieving culture gets this thing called race. And the reason that I do multi-ethnic ministry is because I truly believe that after hundreds of years, since the 1800s, we've been trying to, as a country, legislate this issue, which is to me a heart issue. And from what I know, the only heart changer is Jesus. But the sad fact of the matter is, Jesus, folks, are the only existing institution in this country today that's still segregated. We can't even enter the conversation. I mean, the minute we walk in, all they got to do is say, how many people you have in your congregation of a different race on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock? Oh, never mind. But they're getting it. And so they're getting ready to do this 12-week series, one-year-long campaign on race relations. And got some great questions on the back. I read through this whole thing, and I was like, man, somebody is getting it. And so I would think at this time, it's high time that the church begins to get it. And so one of the things that I wanted to do this morning is just kind of talk to you all about this issue why it matters, number one, and then number two, how do we get there? I do this around the country all the time, and what happens is, especially in the uh, white evangelical culture, we get folks who say, all right, now I get it, but how do I do it? You know, like after introducing them to Jesus' high priestly prayer, where Christ says, man, if they can just be one, then the people will know who I am and that I came for them and that I died for them and they would come to me. And the enemy has done a tremendous job in this country of dividing us. Why? 
because that division gets rid of this gospel message in the country. Y'all see that? All right, let me say this. I know you guys are real cerebral and you're really thinking, but I'm a black preacher, so you guys can talk to me a little bit. You can say amen if you agree. You can even say, I don't know about that if you don't agree. But you can make some noise. It's okay. I won't be like, could you guys quiet down? I'm trying to preach. (laughs) All right. So how do we do this? Well, the, the way we do this, and whenever we come across any issue that is in our culture, I believe the church should act as a thermostat and not a thermometer. Right? In other words, we should be setting the tone of the culture, not going out measuring the tone. Right? And so what we've done in just about every other area, including race, and more in particular race, is we've kind of waited for the culture to see what they're doing. And most of us, because we don't have any interaction with other ethnicities, we see the news stories and we kind of jump on board with what they're saying rather than saying, Jesus, how do I respond to this? Like, I hear CNN, I hear MSNBC, I hear Fox, I hear what they're all saying, but let me open up your word and see what you say about this. And then let me walk accordingly. Because that's how we should respond to anything in our lives. Amen? All right, so this morning, I want us to open up the scriptures and see what God says about this and see a story of two very opposite guys on two very opposite spectrums and how God brought them together and how some amazing things happened because they were open enough to unify. So if you have your copy of God's Word or you have your cell phone with your Bible app on it, whatever you use, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10. Let me pray for the Holy Spirit to open his word. Father, thank you for this love letter that you've left us, Dad. You knew that we would need direction in this life, and so you left us this personal love letter, God, which you used to speak to us. And so this morning I'm asking that you would speak clearly about this difficult issue in this country. Difficult for us, Lord, but very simple in your eyes. And so, Lord, would you speak? And when it's all said and done, Father, we'll give you glory for what you accomplish. God, your word says the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so I've prepared, God, but maybe you want to say something different. So would you speak? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the human body, the human body, it's probably one of God's, if not the greatest creation of his. So much so that when he created humans, am I really loud or is that just me? Is that just me? I feel, I sound loud. Am I good? All right. So much so that after he created the human body, after he created Adam and Eve, it was the only thing that he said at the end of creation that it was very good. Every other thing he created was good. On the second day, it was good. Third day, it was good. Fourth day, it was good. Fifth day, it was good. He created man and said, man, I've done something here now. This is very good. The human body. It's the most intricately designed structure that we know. It was very good. And it continues to be very good. But these bodies get old, don't they? (laughs) They get old and stuff starts breaking down, stuff doesn't work the way it used to, that metabolism just kind of starts slowing down right about 25. Can I get an amen by, yeah, older folk, yeah. You can't eat that candy bar like you used to and it just fall off you the next day. It just kind of hang out for about two years now. (laughs) As you age, this wonderful creation sometimes needs some help. You know, those like one-a-day vitamins. I've been fighting it. I'm hitting 49 this year, and I'm still like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep exercising. I'm not going to the vitamins. But eventually, you've got to do something to supplement because your body just kind of starts breaking down. And so when I, I did some research on some of these vitamins that I can begin to take, and I looked at this vitamin B. 
And I read some things about vitamin B, the fact that it enhances cell metabolism. And it helps the function of our immune and nervous systems. Kind of gives us some boost there. And, and then I saw that it maintains this healthy skin and muscle tone. Vitamin B makes you look good. You want to look good, take some vitamin B. And so I thought as I looked at this, man, what is God doing to make the body of Christ look good? Because as we're getting older, we're still dealing with this issue of racism, of existing in this racialized society. And quite honestly, the body right now is not looking too good. We need some vitamin B. And so this morning, I want to trek through this story of these two guys who God brought together so that his body might be good. So this morning, let me just take a few minutes to talk about the B vitamins of a healthy, diverse body. The B vitamins. I'm going to give you six things that we need to be about in order for this thing to work. The first thing, let's get into the scriptures. Uh, Acts chapter 10. Now, let me give you a backdrop of where we are. Peter has just gone to the town of Joppa, and he's had a great meeting with a bunch of women, and, man, they had a great time in the Lord, and then they had such a good time. It says that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with this tanner named Simon. Lock that in. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in chapter 10 of verse 1, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, about noon, about 30 miles away of the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals and as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Stop there. Here's the first thing that must happen. The first B vitamin that we must take in order for this to work in the body of Christ is we must first be prayerful. We must first be prayerful. If you understand what's going on here, we have a centurion Gentile and a Jewish believer. Now, in those days, Gentiles and Jews did not get along. It was like black and white, right? They didn't get along. Jews were high and mighty. They were God's chosen people. And so everybody else was below them. And then you have this Gentile uh, leader of this Italian regiment, but both guys enter into this relationship because they were both praying. It starts in Acts chapter 10. It says Cornelius was a man of God, didn't know him, but he was a man of God such so that he was in a posture of praying. And let me say this. If we are going to be successful at bringing the body of Christ together across ethnic barriers, it has to begin with prayer. So here's what I want you to do. I dare you to do this. I dare you to go home and say, you know what, God? I don't necessarily understand all that that guy said on Sunday. I may not even agree with most of it. But my heart is open because I've realized that you want us to unify so that the world might know that you exist, that you came, that you love them. And so simply because of that, I'm praying, would you open my heart in this area? 
Would you show me some things? And listen, when you pray, prayer is not just talking to him, but it's intently listening to what he has to say to you. You know, a lot of times I ask people, though, you know, so what's going on with this situation in your life? Well, I prayed about it. And, you know, because we're so busy, we're in the car and we're praying. We're just praying. Lord, this, this, I need this and I need that. And God bless this and that, 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 that. Amen. And we kind of leave God with, whoa, 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 whoa. I wanted to say something to you. We've hung the phone up already. It's like, I don't know. Uh, this is all I got. Okay. Got. And the Lord's like, whoa, whoa. Prayer is not just you talking to me. Prayer is me talking to you. So if you're going to pray about this thing, open up my word so that I might speak to your heart through the scriptures. That's why I left them for you. And so I would say my first B vitamin is, first of all, man, we've got to be prayerful. Like Cornelius and Peter were, they were prayerful. And listen to this. Prayer is not a work of the ministry. It is the work of the ministry. So if this thing is going to happen, you've got to be serious about praying. Okay, God, open my heart. Is this thing really that serious? Because I, I, you know, I don't see it, but can you show me? If it is, open my heart and show me what this thing is all about so that I can engage. So that I can be a change agent in our culture rather than somebody just kind of sitting in the background look, looking at what's happening and saying, oh my gosh, this is crazy. God, how do you want to deal with me? So in order for us to be a healthy, Christ-exalting, diverse body, we must first be prayerful as Peter and Cornelius. But watch what happens here. Once you are prayerful, secondly, your next B vitamin, you've got to be open. Cornelius is praying, and God comes to him and says, listen, I need you to send three of your best guys to go and look for this Jewish fisherman. Really? You ever prayed to God and God came at you with something like really ridiculous? You ever said, are you serious? Did y'all have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Is that just me? I was here in Northern Virginia praying. And me and Ed were talking. And maybe I was going to join this ministry. And we were all getting all excited. And the God came and said, I want you to move to Conway, Arkansas. I was like, really? That's what happened with Cornelius. He's praying like, God, what do I do? And he's like, send three of your best men to go find this Jewish fisherman. He had to be open. You've got to be open for God to begin to break down some racial barriers that exist within you. Because they do. Really, they do. But you've got to be open to that. You've got to be open to God doing something different in you. And then Peter, he goes to pray, and he's up on the rooftop of a tanner. We'll talk about that in a minute. Peter starts praying, and God comes to him, and he lowers down the sheet with some pork chops and, and chitterlings on it. Now, we're talking about a Jewish fella here. And God says, look, man, get you some of them pork chops, man. And Peter, in his religious piety, in his just, I am a Jew, God, don't you know? And he says something that's kind of an oxymoron. He says, no, Lord. No, Lord. And he says it three times, guys. He says it three times. God comes back to him again. No, man, the pork chop. Get some pulled pork in there too, man. Get you some stuff. And Peter's like, no, man, I am a religious guy. I was one of his disciples. I was one of the apostles. I can't do that. I've never touched anything unclean, Lord. Now, Peter is sitting in the house of a tanner. Anybody know what a tanner does? Huh? Their main business is to what? Strip off the skins of dead animals. So according to Leviticus chapter 11, Peter is already unclean. He's in the vicinity of these dead animals. But we can be that way, you know. We can be so religious that, man, you know, I don't have a problem with race. I'm good. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. He has pierced my heart. And here's what I will tell you. This is what I've understood about the race issue. Most people are open to every other issue in their lives to be dealt with, except this one. Don't, don't mess with this one, because that's when people get angry, start throwing shoes at you and stuff like that. 
I can't believe you would even talk about that in church. Where else should we talk about it? But some of us get so religious and so high and mighty that we can't even go there and deal with this issue that is so prevalent in our country. Watch this. We're in Acts chapter 10. We're talking about Peter. Y'all know Peter. That guy that Jesus came to on the shore of Galilee and said, man, I want you to follow me. And Peter just dropped it all and he started to follow Christ. We're talking about Peter, the man who walked with Christ all the way to the cross. Oh, but we're talking about Peter, the guy who was the only one who stepped out of the boat and walked on water. All the other ones were too afraid to do that. And yes, he got afraid when he saw the water and started sinking, but he was the only one that got out. Peter, the one who was with Jesus on the night he was betrayed and said, God, I will never, never, ever leave your side. I got your back, Jesus. And later on, he was like, I don't even know what to do. This Peter. Peter, who who was one of the guys who got to the empty tomb and saw that Jesus had indeed resurrected as he had told them numerous times during his time on earth. Peter, Peter, the guy who came to Christ at the Sea of Galilee and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And Jesus said, man, listen, grace is extended to you, man. That was in the past. Now go feed my sheep. Peter, the guy who preached amazing messages, so much better than I could ever preach, and 3,000 came to Christ, and then 5,000 came to Christ. Peter, the guy who watched Jesus ascend into heaven and said, go to all the nations and preach the gospel. Peter, the leader of the first church in Israel, Peter. Yet, Peter did not have his aha moment, I call it, until Acts chapter 10. And you think that just because you've known Jesus for four or five years that you've got this thing all figured out. Be open. Be open to God doing something new, something different. Be open to him revealing areas of racism in you, but also be open to new relationships. Be open to getting uncomfortable One of the things we tell every member that comes into our church in the membership class, we tell them up front, there is a 100% chance that you will offend somebody in this church. And there is a 100% chance that you will be offended. We got that? All right, welcome. (laughs) Because it's true. But it's because we're open. We're open to whatever God wants to do. And you've got to be open to new relationships. I remember when I first went into the corporate world. Now, I was a brother that grew up in Baltimore City. I didn't know many white people until I moved out to the county. Then I had about three white friends. And then got to high school, had maybe seven or eight. Then I went to a historically black college university, Morgan State University in Baltimore. So that was all black. When I got to corporate, it was like a culture shock. Like, what is going on with these white people? So I roll up in the office, right? And then, you know, I start working, and it's all good. And then I get invited to my first Caucasian party. (laughs) Now, you got to understand the differences in culture here. At a black party, well, first of all, there's loud music. And it's like bass, like... You hear that driving down the street. So you never really know what the address of the party is. You just listen to the music. Up there it is, it's right there. You park your car, you go in, right? Then you get there and it's like, it's dark. It's like either like a little red light or a blue light in the basement. And so you go down there and the rest of the time it's just, you just dancing. Getting your groove on to the music. That's a party. That's my expectation, right? So I'm rolling up. First of all, I don't hear anything. Like, where's the party? And then I, I say, oh, okay, there it is. There. I see some, the lights are on. And everybody's standing around. So I walk up in and I get in there. Everybody's like, hey, how's it I'm like, hey, what's going on? So I would not say anything, but I was like, okay, I am way out of my element right now. Like, what is going on? Where's the music? I don't see a blue light around here, red light. So I just stood back for a little while and just observed. I was like, okay, let me just observe how people do this. And I noticed that. Everybody that was standing around had this little red cup in their hand, just talking, drinking. 
I said, where'd the red cup come from? I didn't see any. Then I saw people going out back onto the, the deck. So I walked out back. I said, okay, what's going on with this red cup? So I look out. Oh, they got this red cup. Then they go over to this silver, like, bullet thing. And I'm like, what is that? Right? We didn't, we didn't have kegs at our parties. If anything, we brought bottles or whatever. So I, they go over, they pump the thing, and they pour beer in the cup. I'm, oh, that's beer! Okay. So I go over, I get my cup, I pump, put my beer in, I walk back in, and then we just stand and we talk. <laughs> I said, all right, this is my first party. I'm good. <laughs> but I went because I was open. I was open to exposing myself to a different culture who did things differently. And guess what? I began to learn a little bit. So the next party, man, I roll in. Hey, where's the cake? I was ready. <laughs> I use that illustration all the time because one of the things that we, you, have to do is you've got to begin to engross yourself in other cultures and learn. Listen, there's a lot to learn from the African-American culture. And watch this. There are many cultures within our one ethnic group. As a matter of fact, there are many cultures in every ethnic group. So the stereotype question, yeah, there are some stereotypes about every ethnic group, but there are many cultures that you can kind of identify different stereotypes in all the different cultures. But you'll never know that unless you are open. So once you start to pray and God begins to bring African-Americans or Asians or Latinos into your life, that might be the person that God's assigned for you to get to know so that you can learn from them. But in order for you to learn third B vitamin, you've got to be humble. So you've got to be prayerful, you've got to be open, but then you've got to be humble. In other words, when God brings that person, you can't be, oh, never mind, he can't teach me anything. he teach you a lot. Watch this. In verse 7 of chapter 10, it says, after Cornelius met with his angels, that when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. Like, this is one of his best guys who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. That's a humble man right there. That's a guy that's like, you know what? I don't understand all of this thing. I don't even know why I'm sending these guys to find this Jewish fisherman. Like, what are they going to learn from him? I'm the leader of an intelligent regiment. I got thousands of men under me. No, the angel said it. I'm doing it. That's humility. Guys, go. I don't understand. Can you imagine his, his attendance? Dude, why do you got me going to see a Jewish? What? Are you sure about this? Listen, the angel told me, so go. Now, what if an angel came to you tonight after you prayed because you're going to be prayerful, right? What if they came to you and said, that guy, that African-American dude in your office, I want you to go and say, man, you know what? We've been talking about cultural awareness at church. I don't want you to be my one black friend. I want to develop a relationship with you because I want to know your culture. I want to learn from you. Right? That's a spirit of humility. Right? Peter, same thing. When he finally got to Cornelius' house in verse 25, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. What did Peter do? But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. That's humility. This guy walked with Jesus. He had been commissioned by Jesus himself. You think he could have been like, yes, I'm Pete. Jesus told me what to do. I walked with him for three years. How long did you walk? I walked on water with Jesus. Listen, I saw him reveal himself in all his glory. We was up on the mountain together. Do you know who I am? Yeah, you get, go right down there. Go ahead, bow to me because I'm Peter. He could have been like that. But he had been touched by God because he was prayerful and he was open. But now he was humble. Get up, man. I'm a man just like you. And so any person of a different ethnic, ethnicity that you come into contact with, exhibit some humility because I'm going to tell you how we feel for the most part. We feel that Mr. Man, Mr. White Man, especially white males, feel like they're way up here and everybody else is here, especially African-American males. And so when I approach you, I'm already thinking, all right, is, is this one of the dudes? And let, and let me tell you this, and this is true. I've experienced that with a lot of Caucasian older pastors 
where it's so evident that I'm in their space now. Now, I've got to prove myself. And it usually goes like this. So where were you educated? And it's the specific reason that I went to Moody Bible Institute because I knew this was going to happen. I could have gone to an, a, a black college, but I didn't. I specifically went to Moody Bible Institute, a white school, because I knew that God was going to involve me in multi-ethnic ministry, and I knew that there were going to be white pastors who would judge me based upon where I was educated. And you can see the change. As soon as I say, Moody Bible Institute, oh. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm accepted now. So that's the position that you'll walk into. That's why you got to be humble. Because some guys may be like, man, no, dude, I know what's up with you. Listen, when I came here to Northern Virginia from Tennessee, I came here to plant a multi-ethnic church, and I began building relationships with white and black pastors. And I went to one of my black pastor friends that I met, and I said, man, look, this is God's mandate, dude. We're supposed to be doing this thing together. We're not supposed to be separate. So let's get with these other pastors. And he was like, you know what he said? He said, man, listen, I, I drank the Kool-Aid, man, and I'm not doing it again. You know what he was saying? He said, man, I tried that. I tried to get together with other white pastors and kind of build the, the community of Christ. And he's like, I guess he was 35 foot. I'm 35 foot. I don't have to prove myself to anybody to do ministry for Christ. And so why do you need to be humble? Because you might not get the response that you think you're going to get when you go. So be humble, man. I understand, but I feel like God is saying we need to kind of develop something. Because it's only in the development of interpersonal relationships, interdependent relationships that God is really going to begin to work on your heart. But you got to be humble. Are y'all with me? So they were prayerful, both of these men. Then they were open to do things differently, go places that they'd never been before. But then you've got to be aware. Fourth B vitamin, be aware. Verse 34. I love this passage. After he comes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius tells him about the dream and then they, they kind of talk a little bit. They start the building this interpersonal relationship. Verse 34 says, then Peter began to speak. And this is what he said. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. What that means is before that, Peter felt like God did show favoritism. He says, I now understand something. That he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter finally had his aha moment. So what am I saying with this B vitamin, be aware? You've got to be aware that race does matter in this country. Do you hear what I'm saying? Race matters. We can no longer, as the church, stick our heads in the sand and act like nothing's happening. It is. It matters. And so with that being understood, the next question is, so what do I do as a believer in Christ to do something about this? So I've got to be aware, first of all, that race doesn't matter. Secondly, I've got to be aware that racial inequality is a reality in minority communities. Oh, I know I'm going to lose some of y'all right here. That's okay. Yes, Mike made some decisions that were not smart. But did those decisions warrant his death? That's just a question. That's a question that every African American in the country is asking as we kind of fumble through some of this stuff. Yes, the guy in New York was selling single cigarettes on the corner. But did he have to be choked to death? Like, before you kind of go on the other side, like, well, if he wasn't breaking the law, he wouldn't have been killed. As a believer in Christ, that's kind of hard for me to hear. Like, when these race issues come up, of course, I got plenty of friends on my Facebook stream on both sides, black and white. But you know what really angers me? is when I hear believers who have no compassion whatsoever for the life of a young man. Yeah, he made some poor decisions. How many of us have not made poor decisions in our lives? Did it warrant murder? 
I'm going to tell you how some of this happens. You have white officers who have no involvement in African-American community. They've not been displaced because they haven't had to. And so you understand that when you don't know something, you usually fear that thing, right? Now, the only difference between you fearing it and a police officer fearing it is that he has a gun. He can respond in a way that will result in a death of somebody rather than just locking the door when a black person walks by. Y'all ever do that? I grew up in Baltimore City. I laugh about it now, but you walk by a car at a red light and you hear I'm like, I'm not trying to call Jack, you lady. Why you had to, I, I, one, one time I literally almost went over and tapped the, I was not going to do anything to you. But that's the difference, though. We all fear what we don't know. I fear if I, if I see four African-American men walking down the street on one side of the street, I'm street smart. I ain't going to just roll up down and, hey, what's going on? I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. That's just smarts. But the difference with the police officers, I don't know you, I fear you already, and you are kind of gangster a little bit. You just stole some stuff from a store down the street. So I'm already nervous when I get there. And those nerves sometimes, they come out the wrong way. So there is racial inequality. People, it is. Just listen. Just about seven years ago, I think it was, I walk into a Walgreens. Just Walgreens. Now listen, sometimes I walk into Walgreens, I'm not looking like this. I got on like baggy sweatpants and a hoodie. I'm coming from the gym. So I walk into the Walgreens and I hear this old intercom. Uh, we have a code red, a code red. And here's one of those things. Now, if you walked into a Walgreens and you, you heard code red, you probably just walk on. Go get your stuff, right? This is the life of an African American. You're cold red. Now, I just walked in the door, and when she looked over at me, she said, cold red. What is... So I'm thinking the whole time, like, what's a cold red? Because I have been kind of just kind of followed through the store. Y'all know that still happened? Y'all like, are you? some of y'all looking at me like, really? Really? I have been followed. I look like a pretty decent dude, right? But I'm black. My skin Tone. It's not really black either. It's kind of more like a goldish brown. Wouldn't you say? Yellowish tone to it. So anyway, I'm walking in the store and I hear this code red. So my immediate response is, now what does that mean? Now I'm the kind of guy that I don't really hold my tongue a lot. So after I finish my shopping, I go up and I get my stuff and I'm smiling. Because as a black man, you always got to smile, especially when you're dealing with a white woman. Because I, I don't know what side they're on. I don't know what they believe because of my skin color. So I'm pleasant. Hey, so I get my stuff. How you doing? She's checking it. I said, hey, you know, I noticed when I walked in, you said something about a code red. What's that all about? And she said, well, that just means that we had some deliveries at the back door. Okay. Now, what, did, what do you think I was thinking walking out? Was she telling the truth? See, that's what white privilege is all about. It's not that you're necessarily privileged. It's just you don't have to think that kind of stuff. You never have to think that. When you're pulled over by a police officer, you never have to think. Now, was that because I'm black? Because I have been pulled over before because I was black. I know it. Uh, you have a front right le uh, left turn signal out. Thanks, officer. I appreciate that. I'll get that fixed tomorrow. And then I got to think, how many people are pulled over because they have a left blinker up? I was with a client the other day. I'm just talking about racial inequality. I was with a client the other day. No, no, I wasn't with a client. I was, I was listening to a radio, radio talk show, sports radio I listen to every morning. And one of the guys was talking about when he and his buddies were drunk one time, that the police officers that pulled them over took them to a hotel and left their car where it was, took them to a hotel so they could sleep it off, and then came back to the hotel, got them, and took them to their car the next day so they can go home. I said, man, if that was me, I'd have been locked up, beat down, in jail by now if I was drunk and driving. That would have never happened. 
There are racial inequalities, whether you want to believe it or not. All I'm saying is just be humble enough to just say, man, tell me about that. Here's the other thing. As you're developing relationships with them, just go to the store with them. Drive in the car with them. You'll see it. Because I can see on your face, and some of y'all don't believe me right now. That's all right, though. But as you're developing relationships, just ride with them. Go to the store with them. Just experience life with them. Displace yourself for a little bit, and you'll see it. Peter's in the house with Cornelius. He sees these people who obviously love God. In humility, he tells them to get up because he's aware of some things. He's aware that there is some differences here. He's aware that there's inequality that's going on. And he's aware that, man, even though he's walked with Jesus for a while, he's still not all good with this race issue. He's aware now. He wasn't aware before. Sheep comes down, pork chops. God is now open to everybody. I didn't realize that. God had always been open to everybody, by the way. It was Jesus who took Peter and them through Samaria. Now, I, can't, I only have time to get into the whole Samaritan Jew thing. But he took them through to show them, man, listen, I'm about everybody. I came that the world might know me, he says. Are y'all with me? I knew I was going to lose some of y'all that be aware. Fifth B vitamin, be blessed. Be blessed. Man, when you start really getting into multi-ethnic ministry, the Holy Spirit is going to bless your socks off. Just believe me. I have seen him do things in people, in me, in organizations, in churches that are just the, you just know that it's nothing but the Holy Spirit. Because left to ourselves, we're all jacked up. Say amen. We all are. That's why we need Jesus. Some of y'all are like, I'm a great Christian person. What do you mean I'm jacked up? You're all jacked up. We all got that sin disease in us, even though we are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. We still have issues. And we still have this race issue. This race issue still comes up in me. I'm driving in Arkansas, and I see the stars and bars. I'm like, man, come on, really? Are you serious? Y'all know what the stars and bars are? Rebel flag, slavery, civil war. Look at verse 44 real quickly. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he was preaching the gospel to the family of Cornelius in his house. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I think that's kind of crazy. Even on those people. But anyway. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I think that's awesome. Peter was able to see these Gentile believers come to Christ. And let me say this. As you begin to walk in Christ-exalting diversity, you will see all kinds of things like this. The culture is waiting on us. Again, legislation has failed the country because you can't legislate a person's heart. Jesus is the only one that can change a person's heart. So the culture literally is waiting on those people who have been given, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given that ministry. First reconciling men and women to God, but then reconciling men and women to one another. So how are you being used with your ministry of reconciliation? They're waiting on us. They're waiting. But we can't get out there and tell them how to do it until we start doing something in our own congregations. Now, some of you might be saying, but we got, you know, we're all together. We're the body. We got black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and Asian churches, but we're all the body so that when God looks down from heaven, he sees a diverse church. And I'm saying, well, that's great if we were trying to evangelize God. But Jesus said, I want them unified so that the world might know. So that when somebody comes into Gateway Church and they see black folks and white folks and Asian folks all over the place, 
They're looking around like, how in the world is this happening in this country? Guess what the answer is? Jesus. Because left to myself, I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way to get with somebody and meet. Now I will because I recognize the beauty of it all. But on the front end, I'm not going to be intentional. That's a big word we use in multi-ethnic ministry. You've got to be intentional. You must be intentional about this. It's just not going to happen because Ed says, man, we want a multi-ethnic church. You've got to do something. You've got to get out. You've got to invite folks. Watch this. You've got to do some different things on stage. You've got to invite minority people on your leadership team and give them the same authority that anybody else has on this team. Can you guys submit to African-American male? Just think it through. I have white pastor friends of mine who have made this change, older pastors who got it, and we've been to seminars together, and they have made the change, and they brought in an African-American associate pastor and gave him the same responsibility and authority that the senior pastor had. And do you know that long-time friends and deep, deep members of this church left? These are friends that he had shared many meals with and had dedicated their children and <laughs> baptized their children. I mean, these people. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? They don't get it. They wouldn't get it. They didn't want to get it. It's that portion of their hearts that they love Jesus. I don't doubt that. But that portion of their heart that they would not let go. Man, I got to go. I'm not submitting to him. Really? Yes, really. But if you hang in there, you will be blessed. Let me just say that. You will see things that God will do in your life and in the lives of people around you that you wouldn't otherwise see. People will come into this building, into this sanctuary, and say, man, look at heaven. You might as well start getting practice in down here, because when you get up to heaven, you know there's not going to be any white churches and black church down the street and Hispanic church. Did you know that? So you might as well start worshiping together. And if you're going to worship together, that means you've got to change some worship on your stage. got to bring some Baptist, traditional African-American music in here if you want to welcome African-American worshipers. That means you're going to have to learn how to sing some Fred Hammond songs. Donnie McClurkin, Kirk Franklin. I'm just saying. Worship is a huge issue in this whole multi-ethnic movement. Worship. Because that means you've got to have worship leaders who can flow in different worship styles. So that means you might have to put down the acoustic guitar and pick up some keys. And You've got to be intentional is what I'm saying. Right? And in order for that to happen, you've got to be prayerful, open, humble, aware, and then you'll be blessed. Listen, when I first came into multi-ethnic ministry, it was all, again, I was all African-American. All I knew was Fred Hammond, Yolanda Adams, all of those folks. And then I was introduced to, I can't even remember his name now. Huh? Chris Tomlin. I said, oh, my man, he kind of smooth. Let me just check him out. <laughs> then Hillsong and all of that. I'm like, man, all right, okay. And eventually, you know what? I, I'm at a place now when I can appreciate all kinds of music. Not just the kind of music I grew up on. But I can flow with new song. I can flow with Chris. I can flow with Toby. All of Me and Toby friends now. Me and Toby went to my church in, in, in Franklin. It was, it, it, we, I mean, it's just, I'm all over all kinds of God-honoring, worshipful music. Because you know it's all his music. Even Christian hip-hop. How many of y'all like Christian hip-hop? Thank you. Y'all got some in here. Amen. Yes. My wife gets on me all the time because that's all I listen to in the car. So then you'll be blessed. But finally, this is my final point, my final vitamin for the day. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. So as you're prayerful, you're open, you're humble, you're aware, you're blessed. But lastly, you've got to be ready. Here's what I mean. Turn to chapter 11 real quick, verse 1. Peter just had this wonderful multi-ethnic moment. He's had this aha moment. He's seen these Gentiles come to Christ. 
he sees that God is doing a tremendous thing. He's bringing unity to the body of Christ. And he, he goes to his buddies. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem and circumcised believers, the circumcised believers said, man, we're so excited. That's so great. Man, you mean Gentiles are coming to Christ? How many people are reading their Bibles right now? Is that what they said? No. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Missed the fact that the gospel had been preached and people came to Christ and the body was unified. Missed all of that. Man, you've been in the house with uncircumcised. Are you crazy? So here's what I'm telling you. Be ready. Because not all believers in this country are down with a cultural awareness Sunday. So be ready. When you leave here and you're all pumped up and you're like, man, did you know that Jesus said we want to be unified so that the body, the world might, did you know that this is what, did you know? And I'll be like, no, and I don't want to know. So be ready for the uncircumcised, the religious folk is what I call them. The uncircumcised people in Jerusalem were very religious, just like Peter was before the sheet came down. So be ready. Be ready to not be understood by the people who haven't had their now moment. Not everybody has it. It takes time. I've walked with numerous, especially white guys, who are 30, 40 years old, and they're like, man, I just never knew all of this. And I tell them what I told you in the beginning of service, because you never had to. Until the Holy Spirit said, man, you've got to start getting in here and doing something about this. So be ready to not be understood by some of your closest Jesus freak believing, I mean, love Jesus. But this race issue, be ready. Be ready to be responded to like Peter. But be ready to be offended by comments from family members and friends. You start hanging out with African Americans, Asians, Hispanics. Be ready to be offended. Because now these people are not just those people. They're, this is my friend. I just had dinner with him and his family. I love these people. And when somebody says a crazy remark about your, you know, Mex all the Mexicans. Listen, Dad, they're not all Mexicans. And actually, if they're not, I mean, that's like a racial slur to them. If they're from Honduras, they're not Mexican. So don't call them Mexicans. You've got to be ready to stand up for things like that. And then finally, be ready to continue this amazing work in the minority. Because as much as we want to think that this thing is just exploding all over the country, we're still a very small percentage of the evangelical world. Very small. And so be ready to be the minority in this discussion. And be ready for people just not to get it. Like, man, I'll get that thing. We don't even have a race problem in America. Okay. And you just pray for them. Because where did you start? You were prayerful. Amen? All right. Anthony, thank you. Thank you. For that was a blessing, me. man.